Welcome to the Asbury Park Vibes podcast. Asbury Park Vibes is dedicated to sharing information about the live music scene in the Asbury Park area, as well as the bands who've traveled through. Asbury Park Vibes can be found on the web at asburyparkvibes.com, where you will find music reviews, photographs, and interviews of the music we find engaging, interesting, and enjoyable. We thank you for tuning in, downloading, or just stumbling upon our podcast. Good job. Now, is that a CF Martin you got there? Yes, it is. It's a D15. Good. My, uh, yeah, my grandfather left it to me. How old is it? This one's it's not that old. I think maybe like early 2000s, maybe 90s at earliest. I don't know exactly what year. Everyone should have a Martin. On a night like this It was so soft for letting done Usually quiet I took a step or two Back from the wreck Hard to believe there's anything left Sorry about dragging you down Hope the depths of hell spit you out Sorry about dragging you down Hope the depths of hell spit you out Hey everybody, this is Doug Drescher for Asbury Park Vibes. You are tuned into another episode of Seen and Heard. And we have uh, one of the most famous uh, young musicians coming out of Asbury Park. It's uh, Bobby Mahoney. Say hi, Bobby Mahoney. Hey, hey, Bobby Mahoney. No, just kidding. Hey everybody, how's it going? Nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Doug. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure awesome. to have you here. So, you know, we've all been locked in, locked out, locked up, locked down. What have you been up to for the last six weeks? You're pretty much looking at it. You know, this is pretty, I've been pretty much in this chair, kind of holding this guitar and playing. I've been teaching virtual lessons over Zoom, which has been in FaceTime, which has been keeping me busy during the day. And then at night, I've been doing, like, during the week, I've been doing some live stream stuff, both from, like, just myself and for some local, like, charities and organizations. And then, um, I've been doing like Sunday brunch series on Facebook, on my personal Facebook, doing uh, uh, coffee and uh, Bloody Marys and coffee on Sunday mornings, uh, like 930 in the morning, which has been fun doing those and we've had a good steady audience and, you know, so it's been a good time. Do you think that once everyone's allowed outside again, this might be something you or some of the other musicians may continue doing? Because it's been really quite a treat to see so many different people posting. Yeah, I, I think definitely, I could definitely see myself continuing to do it. I've said I'm going to continue to do it, at least that one. So, you know, it's fun. It's people are tuning in and are enjoying themselves and it's keeping me sane. <laughs> you know? So I'm, I'm having fun with it. And it's been nice to, I've been making some tips, which has been helpful. And, and then like, uh, you know, also like some of the other live streams doing it to promote like local charities, like, uh, like uh, lunch break and uh, Asbury Park dinner table and um, some of the other local organizations I've played for recently. I, I'm kind of blanking on a couple. But, you know, it's just been good and just sort of try to help get the word out, you know, and, you know, raising money, you know, as best we can, you know, trying to make the best of the situation, you know. 
So before we were all locked out, what were what were you up to or uh, your unit, uh, Bobby Mahoney and Seventh? Is it Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son or just Bobby Mahoney and Seventh Son? Yeah. There's no the. Yeah, either way it's confusing. But yeah, okay. there is a the. Okay, yeah. good. So, yeah. Because originally we were, uh, in high school, we started the band, we were just called Seventh Son. And then I had sort of my Bobby Mahoney acoustic thing going on, starting in Asbury. And then over time, the two sort of kind of merged. And I was kind of rebranding around 2014. And I was like, well, I want we were going to have Bobby Mahoney and something. And we were trying to figure out what. And I couldn't think of anything better, honestly. So I liked Seventh Son and we had it. And it, to me, having that connection to, you know, starting out with my friends, John Alba and Drew Aggie in a basement, you know, I really liked having that connection. So here we are 11 years, I think, or so later, I've been using that Seventh Son name. It's been a while now. So. Well, that, that's a great place to start. So um, the day before you decided to play the guitar, what was your inspiration? How old were you when you started playing? What brought you to it? I was about 10 years old, I think, when I first... My, I know my mom wanted to play guitar when she was younger and had a guitar at her house. Like, and she took lessons on when she was younger, like a nylon string acoustic, you know. And my, she, it didn't take with her. Like she kind of, you know, I hurt my fingers. I didn't want to play it. So, and my grandfather held on to the guitar, you know, and he would like t take it out of the attic every now and again and play it, you know, and play some Johnny Cash and then put it away. And cause my, his dad, my great grandfather played guitar and banjo and had a band, you know, back in the day. So I was like around 10 years old. I remember like, and family road trips listening to like Grateful Dead, like American Beauty, Working Man, you know, you know, Working Man's Dead. Springsteen's greatest hits, uh, Bon Jovi greatest hits. You know, those were things that I remember even seeing like commercials, like Verizon commercials. I think it was for "Have a Nice Day" around 2005. I think it was, and I was like, oh, you know, music. I, I that could be interesting. And I wanted to perform, and I wasn't a strong enough singer just by by itself. You know, so I was like, I guess I should probably play the guitar. You know, so that's kind of where I started my grandfather came, brought the guitar over when I asked him I was like hey you know you still have mom's old guitar do you mind maybe bringing it over you know and he showed me how to play like an E chord and showed me Johnny Cash and stuff like that and so you know the rest so is history so Johnny Cash is I hear Johnny Cash the Grateful Dead Springsteen Bon Jovi those were the, your first influences yeah, definitely. There's and Neil Young too. The first song I learned how to play was uh, "Heart of Gold." My mom said when I got the guitar, my mom was sat me down with the Harvest record and was like, "All right, pick a song off this," you know. So I I listened and I liked "Heart of Gold." So and I thought I looked up the chords and they seemed somewhat palatable. <laughs> um, you know, even though Joe Rapola was still teaching me this, like teaching me, oh no, it goes to this chord, you know, like a couple months ago. So you're always learning, you know. But you know, so that was the one of the first ones I always started. I started on. So then, so Neil Young was up there. Okay, I, I'm not hearing Bob Dylan though. I'm a little concerned. Yeah. Dylan came a little later. Dylan, like, because originally, honestly, and you know, uh, people might have, you know, I don't feel this way now, but there was a time where I was probably more into like Bon Jovi and other things, and I wasn't just Springsteen. And then, you know, at, that was like ten time. And then, you know, as as I got a little older, I got more into Springsteen and kind of saw, okay, you know, saw that okay. Bonjo is so Bruce came before and sort of inspired that. So I was okay. And then it's kind of when I got into like things like Dylan and the Stones and, you know, the Beatles and the Who and mm -hmm. stuff. So that came a little bit later 
for me, but not too much later. I'm still talking like, you know, 16, 17, 18. So when did, uh, when did you step out with the full band as uh, Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son? Where does that start? Um, so Seventh Son, I was a sophomore in high school and like the people I was hanging out with were seniors and we bonded over a mutual love of Springsteen and ACDC. ACDC was another big one growing. That's why I love SGs. You know, my first big boy electric guitar was an SG. Um, so, um, so we were seven, something we started when, we in high, when I was in high school and just kind of doing Battle of the Bands. It was going to kind of be like a one-off kind of thing. And then I was playing the first, I started doing like open mics and stuff like that in the area. And I started, I did like the Sunday showcase at the Stone Pony when I was 15 for the first time. And that's when I started kind of playing in Asbury. And from there, then I started to develop a bit of a presence there as a solo act. And then rather than starting to have the shows build as Seventh Son and then doing other shows with Bobby Mahoney, we were kind of like, well, we might as well sort of put, all, put it all together and promote as one thing. And with lineup changes and stuff like that, it kind of just became, you know, I'm writing the songs and I'm the one singing and carrying on up front. And the, like, at that point, it was the only consistent person in the, at all the shows, you know, at that point. So, yeah. You know, it was one of those sort of like over time, it just sort of became that. But it also seems like, and maybe from your perspective, it took longer, but it, it seems like you gained success in the Asbury area like pretty quickly and you became like a real fixture in the Asbury area a long time ago. It's been a work in progress and that's cool that it uh, might seem that way. To me, it feels like it's yesterday and I feel like I'm still like constantly fighting for recognition down there, which I am, absolutely. And still people are like, oh, you know, people are still finding me for the first time down there. And people are still moving down there too, which is probably part of it too, <laughs> you know. But um, no, I'm, I love, you know, having grown up playing there and still continue to develop there. Because again, I still feel like I'm still young and still, I know I'm young, but I still like finding myself and, you know, my music and it's great. But, like I haven't out, I have been doing it for, I've been playing in Azure for 10 years now. And, you know, it's been a, work in progress building it up and you know uh, I've been very you, fortunate to have been. And you've stood next to some of the biggest names music has to offer on stage in Asbury I, I, I would imagine you're going to say that singing alongside Bruce was pretty cool but you know tell yeah. us about uh, singing with Bruce and some of the other famous people you've gotten to you know perform with well I think a lot of it is my, some of the best advice I ever got as a young artist was you have to make your own luck. My mom told me that like from day one, like being a singer songwriter and trying to get out there, you have to make your own luck. And rather than sitting around kind of waiting for things to happen, I tend to have a bit of tenacity and, a, you know, I tend to weasel my way in places. And like I first started, Oh, the, the way I was able to, you know, really um, be on stage with Springsteen was through a light of day. And the Light of Day organization that raises money for Parkinson's research, Bob Benjamin, Tony Pelgrosi, um, you know, and all the board members, Light of Day, Joe Durso, and, you know. But, you know, the great organization that raises money for Parkinson's research. And I started um, just going to shows, like with my mom, like going to see, you know, I was a Jesse Mallon fan. And that's Jesse was sort of the way I got into that uh, group discovering Jesse and through Springsteen and Will, then Willie Nile and Joe Grishecki. And I started just going to shows and like waiting outside the stage door, you know, hoping I'd see Jesse or Springsteen or whatever. And your, and and then, your mom didn't mind taking you to these shows? No, I was again, very fortunate. They always sort of saw it as like my rock and roll uh, education, 
you know, and like they were, again, they were the big inspiration of showing me this music and oh, as long as you get your schoolwork done and, you know, you go to school the next day, you know, we don't care if you go to concerts, encourage it because I like the music and go to, you know, music they didn't enjoy, you know. Yeah, don't go to shows that they don't enjoy and didn't quite I go to a lot of basement shows and punk shows that they wouldn't be caught dead at. But, you know, just that initial age of having that, you know, that parental support was huge for me. And like, yeah, so standing outside in the cold, you know, trying to meet Springsteen, my parents, you know, right there with me. And I saw Jesse Mallon at the Stone Pony. And I get, after the show, at, he was standing at the merch and I gave him a CD of mine, a demo. I was like, and I was like 17, I think at this point. And he was like, cool, I'll, I'll give you a call before Christmas, you know, this is December, I never heard from him, and then came January, and outside the stage door, he's like, oh, you're that kid I was supposed to call, right, yeah, it's on my desk, you know, cut to, I saw him a couple months later at the city winery, and he was like, hey, Bobby, how's it going, and I was like, I see you're doing a house show coming up, I'd love to open for you, and he goes, well, you have the balls to ask, so sure, you know, we'll let you do a couple of songs, we'll give him a taste, is what he said. That, so that, to- is, that is a lot of chutzpah, as we'd say, I mean, that, yeah. That takes a lot of confidence to just say, I'm ready to open for you. I mean, it was, you know, maybe uh, somewhat misguided, but maybe also it's kind of like, it, you know, it worked. You know, he let me play two songs at this house show live at Drew's uh, up in Ringwood, New Jersey. And it was cool. It was fun. And I met uh, a lot of great people that I, then I, through that crew, I met Willie Nile. And, you know, then they introduced me to Joe Durso. And that's sort of how I met the Light of Day crew and then sort of, being a guitar tech, like a guitar tech for Willie Nile and Danny uh, Gochner of the House Rockers. And Danny uh, Gochner was really the one that introduced me to Bruce and got me to, really got me the opportunity to be out there, you know. And I've heard you uh, tell, um, when you're standing on stage and Bruce is next to you, he leans over and he tells you sort of wise words about, uh, what, what, what did he say to you on stage just before the song? So... Before the show, we were like Danny introduced me. He's like, "Hey, D- hey, Bruce, this is Bobby Mahoney. He's a singer songwriter, guitar player from Jersey. He's gonna be helping us out, guitar tech, and he's gonna come jam at the end." You know, then Bruce looked at me and goes, "Don't fuck up," and then he laughs. You know, <laughs> he's like, "Don't fuck up," and then he kind of gives his like little chuckle. So then, after, you know, of course, I'm you know shitting myself. And then after the set, you know, I go up, I run up to the dressing room, I say, "You know, Mr. Springsteen, thanks for the music, thanks for the opportunity, you know, to jam." And he's like. You had the show on your shoulders and you didn't fuck up. So I was like, okay, good. That's okay. Good. I'll take Those are golden words, right? I mean, you can't yeah, go no. wrong with that, uh, that saying. Absolutely not. No. And I'm very, and I'm fortunate that, you know, I had, you know, opportunities like that. And, you know, I did, I did work for them. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I had a lot of great mentors and people that helped me sort of get there and get to that opportunity you if, know, if so, one of those yeah. bands were touring and they offered you to be the guitar tech would you hit the road with them and uh, tour around oh yeah like well, i did actually a little bit my first like real rock and roll tour was uh i skipped my last week of senior year of high school to go on the road with willie and the guys and i was their guitar tech and opening act for a week and we did like pittsburgh and cleveland and uh ann arbor i think that must have been so you're 17 you're riding in the van yeah, I think I was 18, but yeah, but yeah, it was, it was great. And, you know, it was as educational as you would think it would be. You know, it, it was great. It was a great experience and a great way to be out on the road for the first time, you know, really, you know, without 
parents, you know, without, you know, with, with real people that were doing, you know, what I wanted to be doing, you know, staying at the Motel 6, you know, loading out and me, I remember breaking down the drum set every night and I'd never touched a drum set <laughs> before that, you know, I had to learn how to take apart the drum set, you know, and do all this other stuff and learning how to network and, you know, it's still stuff I'm, you know, working on. That's, no, that's... I'm very, Willie and those guys were, are wonderful to me. Definitely like, you know, family. That's an amazing story. And, um, I, I mean, what 17, what 18 year old wouldn't want their senior thesis to be on the road with a bunch of musicians? Yeah, it was pretty great. My, the only, uh, caveat was my mom said I had to be back before graduation. So I literally the night before we they dropped me off at a, you know, a mall in New Jersey that I got picked up and the next morning I had graduation. So. Well, your mom earned watching you walk graduation for God's sake. She's been putting up with noise yeah, in the yeah. garage for, for about 10 years, right? Exactly. They, they, they earned that if nothing else, for sure. So, you know, it was definitely like, all right. And they took it seriously and they got me back on time, you know, so. And then after that, did you go to college for music or did you just yeah. do the, so what, what school did you end up going to? I went to William Patterson up in Wayne for music and uh, it was great. I loved it. I went for uh, my degree was popular music studies. So I always tell people I majored in Beyonce because it kind of sounds made up, but it's like, it, it was like, half like songwriting and then half like music business and so like a lot of like like recording arts and you know theory and stuff like that as well you know and did and, you did you meet or do you still work with anybody you met in willie p yeah constantly uh, my good friend cooper davis did front of house for us for a couple like a run and the did like uh audio and stuff like that for us and he's a good pal and dave philp who's one of my professors and dave kersner i still talk to quite a bit uh then we, we recorded our first two records as a band at Willie P as well. And a lot of friends I still, and a lot of great singer songwriters from up there too. I still keep in touch with. And uh, it was actually like, you know, net, Willie P was great for like the, I, the classes were great, but really the networking is really what. Well, they have a very strong like so music much, and know. music business program and the connections to New York city. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, honestly, like, to be totally candid that was really the connections i made there was kind of why we got the bon jovi gig you know and it's through the people i met there that sort of set up a sort of a chain reaction of stuff that ended up for us getting that call later on so i'm very happy i went to willie p honestly if nothing else but you know um i had a lot of friends who went to the willie p music program i, I went to ramapo but we went to a lot of concerts in the william patterson uh, you know uh, cafeteria or whatever yeah, I love it. It was great. And like, it was a lot great, you know, recording opportunities, performing opportunities that also afford, you know, allowed that college experience while also didn't have too much of a weekend life because it's such a commuter school. So I didn't feel too bad about leaving on weekends to go touring and gigging or whatever I was doing. You sure. Know? So I was keep, you know, I, I really didn't spend many weekends there. You know, I was there Monday through Thursday and then pretty much was out playing the other nights. Sure. So since you have a guitar, and then and then then after I want to loop back to your big performance at the Brendan Byrne Arena or whatever they call it now. Uh, that was Prudential Center. Prudential yeah. Center. Oh, is that, is that the one in Newark? Yeah. One, oh, okay. The one in business or whatever. So, yeah. uh, what would you like to uh, share with us today? What's what's the tune you've been working on? Give us uh, the inside scoop. Well, we just, with our buddies at Telegraph Hill Records, we put out an acoustic version of our song, I Should Have Called You Up Last Night. And uh, go ahead. I better play it then. Yeah, exactly. I gotta, you know, it's, it's in the contract. No, uh, we put it out uh, 
the full band version is up on Spotify and YouTube, but this, the acoustic version is up on those places as well. And it was a lot of fun to sort of work on it in a different, different light, you know. And this song is a uh, is one of, one of my favorite ones that came together. We put it, we wrote it. I finished writing with Derek Cruz from Jesse, Jesse Mallon's band, and Derek's a cool friend of ours. And uh, mm. it's a special song for sure. So, should have called you up last night. Are you worried about the weather? Are you worried about your dreams? Are you worried about the picture and what it could mean? I've been worried about you, the thing you've been through. There's nothing left to lose. Maybe I'll finally. Enjoy the view. Should have called you up. Should have called you up. Should have called you up. Are you worried about the end between? Oh, darling, and I what they said. I know it's all.
Oh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that. Thank you. That's Thank you. I performance. When, when you write a song, uh, since you do a lot of solo stuff and things like that, how do you know what's a song that you may want to just keep for yourself to do solo in a more intimate setting or what you want to bring to the band at the next rehearsal? I don't. A lot of times it's guesswork. Because uh, a lot of times I write them just like that, you know, and then uh, I then sort of bring it to the band and say, what do we think? You know, is this something we think we can do? And then they decide, you know, that now they decide, but we'll sort of we talk about it and like, you know, if it's something that they're like, oh, no, that sucks. You know, then all right, you know, all right, okay, keep that one for me. You know, or like if it's something that like, oh, yeah, let's definitely see this, you know. I don't know the last time where it, it has been one where I'm like, ah, oh, this is specifically acoustic. Like, I don't want James anywhere near this one. Like, you know, I, I can't, you know, to me, because it's all sort of one thing, you know, I don't sort of separate the two, really. It's just sort of like, here's the version I'm playing this moment. And this, my acoustic the guitar is a little bit, you know, woodier than the other one and less loud, you know? So, like, sort of the way I look at it. Like, it's, to me, it's the same song. And it's the, just depending on the arrangement, I suppose, you know? So are there some songs that you do much differently acoustic solo than you do? I mean, certainly when you have a band, there's a difference, but is, are there some songs that you do the way you heard it originally, but then the band does a version that's more of a band version? Kind of, if anything, maybe more the opposite. Like maybe I'll write it a certain way and then the band has their version and then maybe the acoustic version is then sort of maybe even different, more different than how I originally saw it. Or it could be that way too, where, you know, I'm trying to think specific examples. I did like an acoustic EP in 2015, I think called Luck, and those songs never ended up full band. So I, we tried one of them. There's a song called Mayhem that we tried full band that I don't think ever took. Do you but, have a, Do you have a little multi-recording track set up at your house so you can do a, a larger demo? Yeah, so I use Logic at home typically, and I have like an interface and stuff like that, and. Um, yeah, so I've been working on demos, even trying to do like fake drums with like the, my keyboard and like my pad, and just so to give James an idea of what I kind of want to do. So like even just before we were uh, before we came on today, I worked on a demo for the band. I sent out a version with fake drums and one without fake drums, so then James can add on his stuff, and John can add his bass tracks, and Andrew can add a guitar part to it. So trying so, to so you send them the stems as, and they add on to it on their setup. Pretty much, yeah. Well, we're fantastic. trying to, yeah and it's you know it's good and andrew's roommate uh diego is really good at putting like doing like electronic drum stuff whereas like i'm okay at it and james really is like you know i'd rather hit the real ones so like you know uh but he's working on you know getting better at doing it and he has an electric kit at his apartment so we're working on getting that hooked up to an interface and stuff like that oh that would be but fantastic james still working on cars all day so he's still busy his hands are tired yeah. Let's take a second and talk about really one of your biggest gigs and the, one of the most exciting things that have probably happened uh, is when you headlined at uh, the House of Independence. Yeah. With, with um, really one of my favorite bands, the Vaughns, opened up that day. That was a great show. I loved that night. Um, did you record that? that was, I mean, I that was a great performance. We did. We had. We do have audio and visual from that show. Um, we'll see if we anything comes from it. We've, we, I think we, we've played house, I think like two or three times since that first time. And I think the most recent we opened for Willie Nile and that 
recording I have, and that was a pretty awesome uh, recording. If I do say so myself, uh, Jim hooked us up uh, with a good recording of that. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I love that room. It's a great room. And- the sound is fantastic, and and it's got to be exciting when it is absolutely packed and the people are there for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely kind of unlike anything else, you know, because, you know, when we book a show, you know, obviously we hope as many people can come as possible, but, you know, there's some nights where, you know, all right, we're whoever's there is getting the show, regardless of whatever it is. So it's really nice when there's a good amount of people and there's a good energy and, you know, I get more excited and I get just thrilled the more people there are. The less people, I get more anxious and more like, oh, there's not so many people. Like, you know, I get more caught up in stuff. But if there's a ton of people, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. Well, speaking of a ton of people, take a second and talk about uh, your experience with Bon Jovi. Yeah, that was very cool. I got, we got the, uh, so this is a funny story. I was in Disney World with my family, actually, a couple of years ago. And we were walking around, you know, I was at Epcot you know, in Mexico, you know, having a margarita and I got some phone calls and we were, they were like, what are you doing? Uh, Sunday. I'm like, well, I'm flying back Friday. I have a gig in DC at American university Saturday. And then we have, I had a benefit actually at William Patterson lined up on Sunday and they were like, ah, okay. And I'm like, well, what's the gig? And they're like, Oh, do you want to know? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Oh, we need a band open at the Prudential center on Sunday. So I'm like, oh, we're there. <laughs> and then they were like, are you sure? Like, what about William? What about Willie P? I'm like, oh, fuck them. They, they'll, they'll get it. They'll understand. You know, and, they, and Willie P totally was like, yes, please do that. Is there a scenario in which your friend, if you would have said, please don't tell me, do you think you would have hung up and you wouldn't have found out until you got home? I don't know. And I really try not to even think about that, honestly, because I don't, I, I can't imagine how devastating. Can you imagine you come home and, and you're like, hey, what was that gig? And, and he's like, Oh yeah, it was the opening for Bon Jovi at Brandon at uh, the yeah. I think I would have. I think I. I think I would have either shot him or me. I don't I, or both. You know, so I don't what, know. what was it like backstage at at like a top tier hall like that? And and how did and how was how did you enjoy it? It 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 was, um, it was so it was simultaneously amazing and the best thing that's ever happened, while also being like every other gig we've ever played, like House of Independence, like the Yacht Club, like every other gig we've ever played at every other bar gig so but again it was a bit of a roller coaster of a day because again in some ways you load in you sit around and wait you have a soda you you chill and then you go and play your do your thing do the you know do the thing that you do every every time regardless if there's five people or if there's twenty thousand out there you know um but then on other ways, yeah, you're loading into an arena where I've gone to see hockey games and concerts my whole life, you know. And I saw I was at the original run that Bon Jovi played to open the arena back when my chem opened for them, you know. So, like, I've, you know, to walk in there to be, like, on the bill was insane. And they must treat you really nicely, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you know, they you know, took great care. The whole crew and everybody there, the whole team was amazing. And, you know, we got a nice spread we got to go to catering which i mean you know there was a chocolate fountain you know i mean you can't beat that you know we're, we're lucky if we get mcdonald's most nights you know it was pretty sweet you know the hibachi grill uh station was nice you know but of course i'm too nervous to actually eat anything because i'm not i can't go out there and throw up on everybody so it was 
it was unreal. And I'm still like just that moment of being able to walk up the steps, you know, up the ramp on up to the stage. Like, I mean, you have to admit every concert movie that you've ever seen is that great opening when the guy, you know, the, the performer comes out and they walk up, there's like a 10 step, you know, metal walk up and, yep. and, and you did it in a top tier venue. Did Bon Jovi yeah. uh, give you any words of advice before you played? Yeah, we got we got to spend a couple minutes with John, and you know, again, I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but we did get to have a little chat with him, and he took some pictures with us. And his personal photographer, Dave Bergman, got uh, was able to take some cool pictures of us with him. And uh, we were talking a bit just about Asbury, like talking to John Bon Jovi on a first name basis about Bruce and Southside Johnny, like. It was just kind of like a, one of those just pinch me moments, you know. I'm talk, my the first song I ever performed ever in front of anybody was "Wanted Dead or Alive" in the fifth grade talent show. I sang it. I couldn't even play the guitar yet. I sang it to like a cassette. It was I, awful. I would love to see the video of that. Bob. I would too, honestly. And it's I'm sure it's atrocious, but I have not been able to find it. Like some of my friends, like I've my one friend Elijah Reese is pretty much my archivist and has been my best friend since first grade. But has kept track of like everything I've ever done, and like we were. If anyone's listening to this and happens to have 2005 Warnsdorfer Elementary School uh, footage for the talent show, please let us know. <laughs> you would love to see it too, actually. But so yeah, to stand there with talking, you know, to John Bon Jovi is, you know, growing up in East Brunswick, you know, a Sayreville kid, you know, you know, it, it was just so cool, you know. And we were playing with Southside the next week, actually, in Niagara Falls. So he had a message. Uh, for us to give this out, Uncle Southside, that I won't necessarily divulge. But, you know, uh, it was just just as cool as you would think. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't have, you know, whatever your opinion of is of Bon Jovi. You know, he's a really class act and, you know, great, you know, his great opportunity, you know, and, you know, he put on a great show that night too, you know, so it was just awesome. So it's what's amazing. it like to, uh, um, I what what does that venue hold about twenty two thousand people? Something 000 absurd people? like that. Yeah, I think I think it was around it's around twenty. So what's it like to step out into a, an auditorium that big? Again, it, it's like unreal because you can't even see where it ends practically, you know. And again, like getting this opportunity, we were thrilled. But I was also I tried to sort of quell everybody's you know excitement. I said we could walk out there. There could be five hundred people in that room. You know, and they all could hate it. You know what I mean? There could be no one in there, and the six people that are in there could be totally uninterested. You know, I said, get ready to have the worst gig ever. I don't think I actually said that, but, like, I was sort of prepared to – I think the first time Springsteen played the Garden, he got booed opening for Chicago. So I was, like, ready for anything, you know. But luckily, we were supposed to start around 7.30, but they ended up holding our set back. We didn't go on until close to 8. So by that point, we started with probably about a half full arena, but by the time we were done, we were playing practically to a full room. And that, I'm, I'm sure that anybody who's ever air guitared or picked up an instrument or sang in the car, you know, um, you're doing what thousands and thousands of kids dreamed of. You hopped in the van, you drove around, you opened up at uh, Prudential, you've played headlining shows. You're living the life that, you know, hundreds of people I know have dreamt about. Uh, and I'm, that's not lost on me. You know, I'm very fortunate to, you know, to be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it's, it shows that it literally anyone can do it, you know? And I remember being at PNC watching Gaslight Anthem headline there in like 2012 or whatever. 
and Brian told the story about, you know, being up in the back row, watching, I forgot what band he was as a kid. And he was thinking, what he said was like, you know, why couldn't that be me? You know, why, you know, why not me? You know, so that hearing him tell that story at PNC really, you know, hit home for me. And I've always sort of like, you know, why not? Well, you know? well why not? But also there's, there's a drive, there's a, there's a technical ability that you have to have unless, unless you have parents that are so wealthy, they can just buy your way into the program. And, and I have ridiculously supportive parents, but I, I, they did not buy my way. <laughs> I, I wish they had, it would have saved me a lot of trouble, but you know, there, I couldn't, they couldn't, I couldn't ask for a more supportive family though. And like, seriously, like, you know, they're, they're great. And you know, so many of my peers don't have that home support, you know, and it sucks. And I feel bad, you know, I really do. And, it's amazing what people are able to do without that, but I'm just very thankful that I do have it, you know, and, you know, whereas people are, people growing up, people would like ask my mom, like, Oh, do you, do you manage him? So she's like, fuck no. She's like, you know, I, I show up and help when I can, but you know, they've never been like helicopter parents where I, a lot of my peers, I've seen that where the parents will leave them alone, you know, and the parents are the ones making the shots and writing the set list. And it's like, no, like my parents might suggest things and they like when I play certain songs, but you know, they're not oh, well, how, how much merch have your parents sold for you at gigs? Honestly, I think my sister has done run merch more for me than they have. My sister, my uh, mm-hmm. she's nineteen now, but uh, my younger sister, her and I had my first like sweatshop going, burning CDs and cutting covers out, and you know, printed stuff during Hurricane Sandy. Actually, I remember we had a generator running, and I remember printing off my first solo acoustic <laughs> like record, going up to play. You have Hall. to have pri- you have to have your priorities during a hurricane. Absolutely, it's important, you know. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, like even her, Mel's very supportive of me, and like you know, and yeah, they've all. My dad is still carries my guitars out of venue sometimes for me if I'm like while loading out, if I'm running around trying to get paid or deal with other stuff. Like you know, they're great. You know, I'm very very fortunate. That's that's wonderful. So, one of the things I think about when. If you had to choose, would you rather open for Bon Jovi or or headline to a full house at the House of Independence? That's a tough one. I can't do both. Um, You've already done both. I don't know what else is there to do. True. That's true. Um, I, I think I would rather probably play my own gig because then I have more time and there's more. I can fit more of my friends in the room and it's not a hundred dollar ticket, you know, sure. Um you know, so like that in that aspect is cool. But that being said, though, for the Bon Jovi gig, given how expensive the tickets were and how last minute it was, we had a good amount of friends and family show up to that show. So like, while of course we weren't playing to all twenty thousand people we knew, we had like little pockets of people screaming your name. Street. Yeah, so like the people who weren't there to see us were kind of like, you know, who, why are these people going nuts? You know, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, so if I to answer your question, I'll probably play my own bit. You know, I think I'd rather you know. But again, yeah, I, I would do it again if they called. That's it. So, so um, after everyone bleaches themselves and the world opens up again, what's uh, and 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 we get positive word that the saint isn't closing. Yeah. What, what's going to be your What's your next step when the world goes back to normal? Um, that's a good question. We'll see how normal it gets again. You know, and see where, in comparison to where things were, we are. I think there's going to be some things that are going to be changed going forward. Like some things won't be the same, but I think ultimately I'm going to, when like right now I'm not booking or rescheduling anything yet. Like people have asked me like, to reschedule stuff for the summer or whatever. I'm not even 
talking about rescheduling anything yet. Well, nobody knows what the time exactly. is going to be. No, exactly. And, you know, so I'm just going to wait. But when the time comes that I can safely have people in a room to play music to, you know, I'll be out playing as soon as possible. We had to cancel my first acoustic UK trip because of this. We had to cancel. We had like 20 or 30 uh, other full band gigs around the U.S., like, you know, Eastern U.S. that we had to cancel as well. We we're going to be up in New England quite a bit. I didn't realize you were going out to England. Were you going with someone or was this a solo venture? I was going, well, I was going to go solo acoustic, but I was going with Matt from Feeney, another great local Asbury, you know, New Brunswick band. Um, Matt, we work at the same private school. So we were both going acoustic and we were pairing up with a a great UK songwriter named Connor O'Rourke over there and doing sort of like a trio acoustic songwriter kind of bill. So... Well, hopefully England will still be there in a year or so, and you could do it then. It's been there a while, so I, I think we're going to be okay. You it's know, pretty trustworthy. I, I hope you keep a tour diary of that. that. That's some great stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, and like it was one of those things that I wasn't going to believe it till we were there, and I knew something was just going to throw a wrench in it. But I mean, it's going to happen. I'll get over there. I was really looking at it as like a break-the-ice trip, because I want to get over there. I want to get over to a lot of the countries in Europe and – start playing over there because there's a good amount, of, not a good amount, but there's some friends and, fan, and fans over there that I'd like to get to and play to, not over Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Doug Zambone from the Van Zaders. Yeah. yeah and I, I suggested that uh, they play you guys, uh, like the Van Zaders against Bobby Mahoney and Seventh Son in like a bowling match, and we could, uh, we could uh, broadcast that. I would love that. I think that'd be fun. I think I think we'd all have a good time with that. We we love them, and I think they tolerate us, so it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're so you're doing uh, music lessons uh, through the Zoom. Are, are you using yeah. the Mel the Mel Bay book level one that we all took when we first started playing? It, I sort of yeah, but also like I try to make it as individual to the kid as possible. So I try to stay away from textbooks or even like a specific way I approach it till I really talk to them and sort of get an idea because I didn't take guitar lessons growing up I took like I sat down with a couple of people along the way that sort of like helped me out but ultimately a lot of it was sort of self-taught and just sort of like watching and picking up little things here and there um and I never had like a steady guitar teacher so like I try to make it as fun and least like work as possible because I know like I don't want to be the reason someone gets turned off to it but I'd imagine you know, the kids are playing, and, and some kids play because their parents probably force them, though that's more likely to be the piano than guitar. But the, are there some kids that you meet that you could just see there's that fire burning in their in their soul? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a student of mine that I had uh, at school named Dylan Schindler, who's actually at Mammoth now. Um, and he's a great singer-songwriter. And, like, yeah, he had that fire, you know, and that passion. And he's like, you know was asking me, you know, how do I get gigs? How do I do that? And, you know, he wanted to know about the networking side of stuff. And that's how I kind of know, like, okay, this kid's like, really wants to be doing it. Because everybody wants to, you know, like you said, everybody wants to, you know, tour around in the van and play the arena gig and do that stuff. But there's the hours and hours and hours and hours of other bullshit that goes before that, you know? So, you know. Well, that's that's wonderful that you're, uh, you're teaching some of the youngins because you're certainly... Uh... You know, if my kids were taking uh, lessons when they were younger, you'd certainly be one of the people I'd want them to meet. You got a good message, and you know, you're not completely tattooed, so nobody yeah. could be frightened of you. Yeah, I can cover all these up pretty easily. You know. So uh, before we uh, wrap up here, can you give us one more tune? Well, I'm thinking there's a song called "Nothing for Nothing" that we put out. We did the band version of it. Uh, 
put it out at the beginning, well, the really the end of 2019, at the very beginning of this year, um, with our friends at Telegraph Hill. And the song's really sort of about, you know, not taking any shit, you know, and, you know, standing up for what you believe in, standing up for your friends and your family, and, you know, standing up to ridiculous protesters and, you know, uh, people wanting to ingest Lysol and things like that, you know, so. Uh, yeah, the song's called Nothing for Nothing. And so we're putting out the acoustic version of this actually in a couple of weeks as well. So a little taste of that. So the song's called Nothing for Nothing. some of the seventh son there yeah it was a pleasure to see you happy and healthy and being productive likewise my friend. thank you for, for spending having... uh you know the better part of an hour with us it's been a lot of fun i, I really appreciate it you know, we'll make you can make us all famous if you become famous this will become the bootleg to interview likewise likewise though you too if you blow up too you know i'm riding your coattails the you know all are welcome on my little happy bus Take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you real soon, Bobby. Be good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Bye-bye.